Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hercules Invictus, and tonight is our Archons and Aeons episode, which is the third Monday of every month, and the first segment is Starfleet Adventures with Admiral Bob Vossler of the USS Challenger. Greetings and welcome, Bob. How are you? Hello. It's nice to be back again. Thank you. It's certainly wonderful to, to have you here. So you had news about Picard, I hear. Yes, yes. Well, well, well I think we've all, uh, those of us who are big fans of, of Trek, have been following the various trailers that uh, have been coming out. And uh, now there's a theory about the mysterious woman that comes into, a uh, young woman who comes into Picard's path at the vineyard, that it could possibly be his daughter uh, of a sort. Yeah. <laughs> Genetically, that is not not necessarily, um, you know, the union of a of a Beverly or anything like that. But uh, there's some there's some, been some interesting uh, Facebook posts uh, out there suggesting that somehow she was a gen- some kind of genetic construct uh, similar to Shinsan, where maybe I was just from Shinsan. Yeah, um, and that uh, somehow she got involved with you know a, a you know a you know Borg uh, a confiscated Borg vessel that the Romulans had or something like that. I, I it was an interesting theory. It had some well 
you know, research theory, you know, uh, background on it. I mean, I don't know if uh-huh. it's true. I don't know if the Raiders are truly going to go in that direction. But, uh, you know, uh, it was certainly fun to speculate. And um, that sounds interesting. That Star Trek Picard is one of our panel topics. Uh, in fact, the one that I'm doing for our upcoming Region 7 conference this coming weekend. It was oh, good awesome. to hear you. One more theory, you know, something else that I could uh, dis- discuss uh, and bring up and see, if, you know, what our fellow members uh, think about that, because I'm sure they've seen the same post that I did. I'm I'm very interested. I, I haven't been able to focus on all the things going on uh, um, as well as you can, uh, but I've been interested. My wife and I watched uh, Discovery, the the first two seasons. Uh, we uh, uh, watched all of Enterprise, uh, and I'm personally halfway through with uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, and I've watched all the movies uh, again. So, uh, uh, pretty much, I guess uh, by uh, year's end or by the spring of next year, I'll have watched all the tracks that were uh, uh, visual. Um, the books, there's too many of them to reread. I'm in my 60s, so yeah, that's too formidable a task to take on. Oh my gosh, I, I have a collection of books that, you know, maybe maybe in the maybe when I retire, I could start to get into that. Uh, I got a stack of comics I haven't even gotten into that's on my bedstand. Same here. Uh, it's just been a little too busy. In fact, this month has been very bittersweet because while it was very active in the fact that uh, I got to see, you know, William Shatner at the Asbury Park uh, Paramount Theater, uh, I didn't uh-huh. get to meet him personally as I had hoped, you know, but trying to use my press pass, but, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to get close to William Shatner is, uh, you know, next to impossible, but he was fantastic as a speaker, as he always is. Uh, 88 years old, we should all have that kind of energy. Uh, wow. But he was highly entertaining. But, of course, we're also, you know, those on my crew are mourning the loss of our good friend and my operations chief, uh, Todd Brugman, who um, was on the show, was on your, was on the show um, several months back, earlier in the year. What happened? Uh, the news came, well... He had had, he had had diabetes, and uh, nobody expected the turn to to this drastic. But uh, he his condition uh, weren't well. They didn't know exactly what the problem was because around July his health it started to to blow up with the fluid, and uh, in fact he was at our barbecue and was having a very difficult time trying to uh, walk, and so they they. Uh, examined the situation and uh which took time because of various reasons with the um, apparatus and getting the results and all that and they determined that he needed to have a valve uh replaced that he was having um heart issues um and uh so they had done the catheterization and nobody expected any problem after that they you know the the, the main concern was going to be the the uh the valve replacement that's probably when the most crucial time would be but 
Unfortunately, two days after his catheterization, uh, he suffered a, you know, two heart attacks basically at the hospital, and uh, there was an oxygen deprivation of 15 to 17 minutes. So he never quite recovered out of that, and uh, a week later. Um, you know, uh, they had the, you know, the results were in that, you know, with, with 15 to 17 minutes of oxygen deprivation, your, your, you know, your, uh, your brain's been damaged. So, uh, they tried to take him off the, the ventilator and he hung in there, you know, Todd always did things on his own time. And, uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, several hours after that, he he passed, and and that was a, a big shock to us all because you know while we we knew he um, had health issues, I mean we were all keeping up with what was happening, and we were praying that he would you know come out of come out of this. Uh, but um, you know the reality was that uh, you know he 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 wouldn't have been the same you know after that. So uh, he was a great talent. He uh, had an incredible sense of humor, an uncanny uh, knowledge of, you know, geek history. I mean, he and I could go back and forth and talk about old sci-fi movies and comic book uh, lore. And, of course, Star Trek was, you know. um, And then there were things that he he was into that I was not. And I learned from him, you know, certain things. He, he had an appreciation for anime and uh, he was also very big into Ren Fairs. You know, for a while he had left, you know, sci-fi fandom for a bit for, for a few years and, you know, focused more on his Ren Fair and, you know, stuff like, like that with, along with his wife. And, you know, and then, then once he returned to Starfleet and had joined Challenger, he, you know, he really put, incredible amount of energy into it and uh you know and that that was something about Todd he uh you know whatever he was into he was into it 110% you know um so he he will be greatly missed and we're even having a panel for him you know remembering Todd because he wasn't just on you know my chapter he was on the avenger he was also on the highlander um he had done graphic arts for program books and for, for, um, for novels. You know, he was just starting to get into that. And, uh, he was saying, and, and the sad part too is, uh, you know, um, he had been in touch with the folks that are putting out, uh, putting on, uh, uh, Ohura con for, you know, Nichelle Nichols, as you may or may not know, uh, is on basically a tour, uh, hitting conventions this this year you know well this year and and into next year um and you know pretty much after that she will no longer be doing conventions nichelle's health is uh, either and um we saw her at shore leave but she didn't do a talk you know she's she did photos and that was it she you know she's uh She's suffering, you know, from dementia and, and, you know, so anyway, uh, Todd was very excited that the, the people uh, had seen his work for, for uh, shore leave and Farpoint uh, program books and wanted him to, 
to do uh you know the um all the work of, you know promotional materials you know program book for for Oberacon, and that was out in California so they were actually you know as a thank you to him we're going to you know fly him out there you know he and Annie um and um you know comp his uh, you know uh his his tickets um I don't know if they were throwing hotel room in too, but I mean, they, they really, you know, um, and, uh, so that was, you know, I, I don't know if he actually completed that. He had several different concepts involved with, uh, with what he was going to do. He was going to have, you know, various, um, drawings of, of Nichelle, uh, you know, at different points in time of, of Ohura, you know, from her early, days to the motion picture to you know the movies to uh i think even some of the fan films you know where she had uh Oprah had become an admiral so he was very excited about that i don't know if that that project was actually completed um but uh yeah. that's a shame I, I i never got to know tom but after his uh being a guest on your segment uh, i wanted to get to know him and uh uh, I was going to ask you how he was doing and whether we can get him back on. Uh, what we can do, though, is we can uh, dedicate um, our next episode to him. Uh, if you can uh, send me his information, I'll, I'll post the dedication um, sure. next time Absolutely. to uh, show and put it on Facebook. And uh, you know, that that is uh, the least uh, that we could do. But he seemed yeah. like a really uh, great guy, very creative uh, um, very yeah. funny and uh, uh, full of all sorts of great uh, suggestions. Yes, and he enjoyed being on the segment. And when uh, when he was more when uh, around the summer when these problems escalated and he was unable to to go to work, I there was one month where I was trying to see if he would be a you know he would be a guest again because i knew not only would he have enjoyed it and and you would have enjoyed having him again um but but it would have put you know uh you, you know it, w- it would have made it for a nice distraction away from his other um problems because he he couldn't he was pretty much bedbound and and couldn't leave the house um it was it was becoming you know until he went to the doctors you know that that was the extent uh, and it was driving him crazy you know because he you know is very active person and he didn't want to you know but but he was restricted in in being able to to drive so um, yeah that would be greatly appreciated um, um most, most certainly so Tina Chandler and Brian Chandler of the uh, Odyssey uh, they also. Uh, uh, lost uh, a crew member uh, recently, and uh, last time they were on the show, they were talking about it. So, uh, um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. time passes over, and uh, uh, you know, the folks get lost. That's one of the sad realities yeah. of. Yeah, it, it's it, it seems like, and I I don't want to I don't want to be a downer, uh, you know, uh, turn the tone of the of the show downer, but um, you know, it just seems like this last several months, you know. Um, our mortality has 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 been you know uh, come up um either illness or you know or or loss like this i mean our our mutual friend wayne i, I won't get into all the details but he's 
he's battling some some issues right now too. Uh, and I'm but he's, he's he he's going to you know he's he's going to it, it he's getting better. But to be on the safe side, he's made the decision that um, um, that he won't be at the conference. So uh, Jeff and I will be running the conference this weekend. Um, and then that takes a lot for Wayne to, to not be able to, to, to do yeah, that. So I know how dedicated you know. he is. Uh, yeah. Wayne, uh, I've known him for a long time uh, on and off. I was doing the uh, Klingon uh, things way back in the mm-hmm. day. Uh, yeah. Wayne originally started off as a uh, Klingon in, uh, in our Klingon yeah. group. And then later on, we were trying to sell our own universe. And I was meeting with like the, you know, people from different television studios and stuff like that to sell this fiction concept. Uh, we created uh, a convention version, you know, of what uh, the show was intended to be. And he uh, joined that. And so I got to interact with him like in our own outer space uh, playground. And I was really overjoyed to reconnect with him uh, uh, now and to see him at the, the Mythic Atlantis event. So I'm sorry he's going through a, a hard time. Yeah. And then we had one other member as well who gave us a scare, um, not on my chapter, but we're very close to him. And, uh, you know, he had a, a bit of a, a, a infection uh, and was hospitalized and we're like you know what's going on you know and and then you know so uh you know and 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 he they're not the only cases there was at least two three more that we were just beginning to wonder you know if our starfleet uh medical coverage you know was was as good as it needed to be um but you know know, we're we're all unfortunately getting older you know that that's very true. Uh, does the Starfleet uh, Club have medical co- coverage? That that'd be awesome if it did. <laughs> um, <laughs> unfortunately, not. But I think you know, as uh, as our as as our demographic tends to get older, you know, uh, you know, I, I I have noticed over the years that conversations uh, have shifted a bit to. Uh, yeah, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, talking about doctors and specialists and medications, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've uh, noticed another 10 years, what it'll be like, but you know, it's, it's, it's life, you know, and, and we've even seen the, the aging process through the original crew, you know, um, uh, right, you know, down to un, undiscovered country and even generations. Um, right. You know, um, and um, you know, it's not something that you know is terrible. It's it's part of it's part of life. So uh, you know, um, and we we saw those characters just as we've seen our own, you know, our own membership um, grow and you know change and face different challenges and, and, and mature more and, 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 you know, uh, you know, uh, members of, of ours, uh, former members who, who uh, moved out of New Jersey, uh, I found out this weekend uh, that they're coming back. So, uh, you know, uh, life has its twists and turns. Yeah, I mean, well, the circumstances of their returning weren't necessarily positive, but they, um, the fact that they're coming back, um, you know, is certainly 
you know, a, a good thing, you know, overall for them. And, you know, I'll, I'll get to see them more often. Um, and, and, and so, um, you know, it, it, it was hoped for that they would have, of, um, had a better experience out where, from where they were, you know, uh, most people try to escape New Jersey, uh, you know, but uh, New Jersey has its benefits and, uh, and, and literally has its benefits because, you know, uh, they'll, uh, the one person will be able to get uh, better medical um, benefits back here in New Jersey than they, they did out there in, in West Virginia. So, um, so it's you know it's always something. <laughs> uh, That's very true. And... Elastidose is something. Um, I got from you and uh, from others uh, to vote in a Starfleet uh, election. Uh, I've been caught up uh, he- here with things uh, at Tenafly with uh, all my different uh, things involved in, but I would like to vote. Is it too late, or do I still have time to uh-huh. vote? You know, I would just send it in anyway. Uh, I believe the cutoff was October 15th, but, you know, vote and, and send it in anyway. Uh, our elections, this, this was a different kind of an election. I, I, mean, okay. I, mean, it's, it's, I mean, when I say that, I mean it's, it's a regular election for the president, which is every three years, the president and vice president and their respective slates. Um, but it is the first time that we are doing electronic voting entirely. Um, okay. And there was, some, there was a little bit of confusion about that. And, and there's obviously some members that even in this day and age don't have electronic uh, access. I mean, we have one member in this chapter that, that, that uh, wasn't able to vote. Um, of course, he, unfortunately he also has, some health issues at the moment, and uh, that's probably the last thing he was thinking of at the moment. But, uh, but yes, uh, there was some confusion about whether you could request, um, you know, a, a paper ballot. And, and unfortunately, the the company that the organization is is using this time to tabulate the results um, couldn't offer that. So, you know, um, plus there was a there was always a mailing. A, a, a physical mailing that had the um, the platforms of both, you know, or all the candidates. In this case, there's there's only two running. Um, last time there was four or five, um, so it was it was interesting. Um, and I was and I was on one of the slates. Um, wow. But uh, I wish I was around to vote for you. Well. Well, we came close, but <laughs> coming in second doesn't, uh, you know, there was, there was definitely, um, yeah, I think it was like four or five candidates. So, so we were very happy to, you know, at least we came in second and a very, you know, relatively close second, but, uh, and then ironically that person that, that actually won, uh, they were there for a year. And unfortunately, again, <laughs> gosh, this sounds redundant, but they had a health issue. They had, the person had a stroke. Um, not to say that Starfleet gave it to them, but, uh, you know, um, so a different person, the, the vice president took over and, you know, a new, uh, he became president. So, um, but, um, yeah, it, 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 at this time, I just didn't have the same drive to, to do it. Maybe, maybe in the future, um, 
but a lot of things were happening in the real life realm at that point. And I, I, this was back in June and we had to file it at that point. And the person that I was, you know, had been asked to run with again, unfortunately he uh, couldn't do it either. So, you know, so, um, you know, there's two, two, uh, you know, fine candidates and, um, you know, um, I, I, in, in the email, did, did they, uh, I forgot now, because I did vote a while back, um, did, uh, I forgot if they actually provided you the link to both their respective platforms and, and things like that. Um, I, I really don't uh, remember. I remember seeing the title and clicking on it and just, uh, you know, breezing uh, through it and putting it on my uh, do as quickly as possible <laughs> list. Uh, and then, of course, uh, things, uh, events transpired and unfolded. And, uh, um, you know, next thing I knew, here I am now with you. So, of course, it, it stayed in my mind and it popped up again. So I figured I'd ask. Uh, I will uh, search for it after tonight's show and uh, uh, I will, you know, make as informed a choice as I can uh, if I yeah. can still <laughs> and, and, yeah, and I can, if you have a question as to, you know, you know, uh, of the two, um, you know, I, I won't tell you who to vote for, but I mean, if you want information, um, you know, they're, they're both equally very qualified. And, you know, I, I know the vice president of, of one of the slates very well. I've known him for years and, uh, and he's a, he's a great guy. Um, so, um, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, I and I wish well whoever you know ends up, you know, leading the organization. It's a it's a lot of work when you get on that level, um, and and because we're an incorporated nonprofit, it it has certain restrictions. I shouldn't say restrictions, but certain rules that have to be followed because of you know legality. Um, right. So it's not you know even though we are a fund based organization. Um, there are certain things that have to be done in a certain way and, you know, um, you know, for our own protections, you know, because of the incorporation papers, but, uh, you know, but I, I, I think we'll, you know, it, it's good to see every three years, uh, a, a whole new slate come in and, you know, not to say they're all brand new, but they're, they're people who have experience and, uh, you know, bring their ideas and, uh, their focus on the on on progress, you know. So, um, you know, it's that time again. So, um, I'm looking forward to November when we find out who who's won, and uh, in January when when they start. So, you know, we'll we'll you know once once it's done, we we support whoever wins and and hope um, you know to see you know a better organization come forward. And I'm glad to be part of the adventure. Uh, and in the next election, I will most uh, certainly vote because by then I'll be very integrated into uh, uh, what's going on. Um, here on my end, not much uh, to report. Um, the uh, Crestfield Public Library, the uh, director retired. Oh. And uh, many people uh, who I was working with left. So right now everything is on hold. I'm still the president of the Friends of the Crestia Library, so that's a nonprofit, and I take care of uh, 
you know, things that are required, uh, as you know. And uh, um, I'm still doing my uh, role-playing game for kids, a mythic adventure. And right now we just finished uh, uh, being in outer space. And now we're uh, in modern times where the uh, gods and heroes of mythology will be superheroes. So that'll be the next uh, bunch of uh, adventures. Um, but all the other things that I was doing, uh, uh, I don't know if the new director or the new uh, um, uh, crew that they get in to replace the old crew uh, will be on the same page. So rather than uh, invest a lot more activity, uh, you know, putting on these different uh, events and uh, uh, regular scheduled groups, I just figured I'd take a break uh, for a while and see what happens. Uh, and I've gotten yeah. a bit to do it in other libraries. Uh, so uh, um, if I can't stay in Crestview, I'll move my base of operations to another library. I had forgotten that you were also the president of the Friends uh, group, you said? Yes. Wow. Uh, and, and, and as you may know, um, from that, uh, this week uh, is uh, National Friends of the Libraries Week. Um, which, I wasn't aware uh, of yeah, which uh, which 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 means that many municipalities, you know, present proclamations honoring uh, the work, uh, the very important work of the friends. I while I may no longer work for the library system, I, you know, I'm very familiar with uh, all the great things that the friends do to support the libraries, and um, um, I happen to be uh you know in my work capacity as as a reporter i was at, at one of the towns i cover and they had presented a proclamation to uh, uh, uh the president of the friends uh of the wow. of that particular library and um and one of the librarians that i you know worked with in the past so uh you know it, it was it was nice and um and ironically uh, on the subject of of uh, libraries. Um, I was set to to uh, make a, a solo run to the Vineland Library System uh, yesterday. Um, they were hosting a, ro a cosplay kind of event, very similar to the Fan Nation event that that uh, Challenger does at uh, the Ocean County Library, and that that we also did at the Burlington County Library System in August. Um, mm -hmm called Fandom Fest. So I was intrigued. They'd actually reached out to me and, you know, asked if I'd do a panel if I if possible and um even even asked, um, do you, do you charge for that? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't charge. But um but I was also committed to going to a toy collectible show that I mm. that uh, hasn't happened for a while and I did tell them that. So I thought I would try and, you know, um do both. I would go to the uh, the collectible show, which is about 25 minutes away from from here, uh, and and drop off some flyers and things like that. And of course, you know, hunt for treasures. And then I was set to go to Vineland, and then um, then I kind of got a little sidetracked by 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 work because even though I had the day off, I was asked if I could help out with a you know, a breaking news thing that that was, and, and it was right in the area of that I was traveling in. So um, I I detoured and I had to file the the two stories. Actually, it was two stories at a at a library that I worked at last 
April for a month for, for training purposes. So I was like, only me that could head towards Vineland, which is an hour and some odd minutes away, and end up in, you know, Southern Ocean County at a different library entirely. Um, and then by that point, you know, the event was going to end at four and, and I was ready to set off at two. And I, you know, it was still almost an hour away at that point. So I was like, darn it. So um, in the future, I'll be working with them and we'll, you know, hopefully uh, get more of the crew involved. It, the, the news came to us kind of late, so we didn't get to. And, you know, with with everything else that's happened this month, you know, um, you know, we, we just didn't, you know, have time to really prepare for it. So I was just going to pop out over, but, uh, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes it just doesn't work out. So, you know, I, I know exactly what you mean. I missed uh, a bunch of things this month because, uh, um, with some of them, I missed them because I couldn't be in two places at once. Uh, uh, not yet anyway. Uh, and, uh, yeah. some other, they just like, uh, you know, my mind was so saturated and I was so focused. So uh, there was a meeting, for instance, that I would have liked to attend. It was a very important meeting. And uh, I reminded myself uh, and uh, uh, then I turned around and the meeting had started like an hour and a half previously. So uh, I had a show after the meeting, so it didn't really make sense to, to go to the meeting. But uh, um, I yeah, can certainly um... understand what you're saying. It's, it's so easy to get pulled in a lot of different directions and get sidetracked. Uh, that you can't do everything. Well, yeah, and and while you know, even though I had the day off, uh, you know, sometimes you're asked to do stuff, and and again, real life intervenes. So, um, you know, and I thought, well, I'll just detour. I I needed to stop at the bank anyway and get a little bit more cash flow because I realized if I was going to go that far on the Parkway, that you know, I having spent you know, all my cash or a good portion of it at the uh, collectible place, I, I needed to get, you know, tolls. So there was that and maybe a quick, you know, and, and then the other library wasn't open until one o'clock. So I had to, um, you know, I, I grabbed some, some quick lunch, went there for uh, at one o'clock. And then the, the, the quickest thing was the two assignments. And then of course, um, not surprisingly, I bumped into people that I had worked with and we got chit chatting and, you know, then before I realized it, it was close to two o'clock and I was like, well, now it doesn't really make sense because it'll take me by the time right. I get there, you know, uh, and then I still had my the, a uniform in the back cause it was cosplay, you know, kind of stuff. So I was going to put that on and you know by the time I got out there it would have just you know but uh, but now, fortunately there's loads of things coming you know uh, ahead so uh, you know there there always are and uh, um, here I finally I've, I've watched enough uh, Trek especially with Discovery and uh, with Enterprise to see how big a role time travel can play in the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. And then of course I, uh, I got those collections of uh, like favorite episodes that are in the theme, like the Borg and the Klingons. And uh, there's one with time travel and another one with alternate uh, dimensions. So um, uh, that filled out uh, my imagination with other possibilities. Uh, so basically the, the storyline that we're introducing is set 
and uh, I also did uh, made a list of uh, uh, planets that were in Star Trek that uh, resounded with uh, the Greco-Roman theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people choose among these races, or or yeah, suggest some others. And uh, we have the the just the not the justice the Challenger, uh, the Justice, and the Odyssey uh, that we're interacting with uh, to start. Cool. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, you know, basically just to start things uh, rolling. And the first meeting was delayed because of the change in directors, but it'll happen uh, you know very soon. People are pretty excited about it. And uh, Tina and Brian Chandler. Uh, finished their first uh, like chapter uh, that they wrote out, and uh, it, it's really good. The kind of sets uh, the stage for everybody, and uh, the role playing game I did with the kids, uh, the, a summary of that will be part of the story uh, too. So we started uh, old style, uh, um, you know, writing stories. Uh, um, interactions as in days of yore. So that's uh, started as well. And uh, I'm looking at various uh, role-playing systems to get a, uh, a pen and paper or tabletop uh, uh, campaign going uh, to keep this, like something episodic to keep the stories going because that's very mm-hmm. much the Star Trek tradition as well. So that's where all that stuff is. And uh, um Tina and uh, Brian are big uh, Stargate fans, as am I. And uh, is there Stargate fandom still? Uh, You know, that's a good question, because I recall um, there was. In fact, I was uh, a member. I wasn't terribly active with it because it it was very more, much more uh, online and and, and correspondent-based, although every so often... I, and I forgot what it was called. Um, I think I still have a patch or something. Um, but I, I haven't really heard anything lately. In fact, I haven't heard a lot about Stargate itself, other than there was uh, on a streaming service about a year or two yes. ago. Um, and what was it called? Stargate Origins or something Origins. like that? It's on, it's on uh, DVD. Uh, I I did get to see I did not get to see all the streaming but I purchased the DVD and uh, um, it takes some liberties with uh, the uh, uh, continuity um, mm-hmm. but uh, they then give everybody well, I don't want to spoil it for you but they kind of fix it by the end of the uh, the the series uh, so that it can fit into continuity but while it was unfolding it's like uh, you know, it, it was violation of continuity, kind of like Discovery, you know, where you watch long enough and then it'll make sense at some point, you know, but... Uh, was it a, a kind of a prequel premise? Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, and it, but it, it, it was to connect more to the TV series or the original movie? Um, um, it, it was kind of vague, you know, where and how connected, mm-hmm. I guess, just like Discovery was kind of vague, you know, which universe did it take place in? Was it in the regular continuity? Was it in the Kelvin universe? Was it another universe all its own? It fit in pretty good with the television show, but it was about Catherine um, and the finding of the Stargate and the early, you know, her early adventures with uh, the Stargate. 
Um, and uh, it, it did involve gate travel uh, with her father. And there were all sorts of things that, that again, it's like, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. Uh, and then at the end, well, okay, yeah, it could have happened that way. Well, I, I, I know there's, oh, there's still talk probably of, uh, them doing a Stargate movie, but more of a sequel to the original film. And then they, at one point, they were t- even talking about having Spader and you know, uh, right, right, uh, Russell back and all, you know. Um, but I, but then nothing have ever ever come to it. And I think at this stage, uh, I I don't know if it will, um, but. Um, Every what so often, they can do that. What I heard was that Independence Day, their their sequel to that, did not go as well as anticipated, uh, so they weren't able to garner enough support to move forward with uh, Stargate, uh, and they were talking about either a sequel to the original movie, because uh, there were a bunch of novels for the original movie that that expanded yeah. it greatly. Uh, I think there were five of them. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to follow the, the book continuity or just create a new one. Uh, and uh, then they were talking about a reboot of the whole thing. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that would have been sad because they had an MCU type of thing uh, too, with all their Stargate shows on television, they all fit together in the same continuity uh, and people yeah. liked that continuity. It kept the show afloat for uh, over a decade, a decade and a half. So yeah, creating a whole continuity didn't, Makes sense, you know. It, uh, uh, I think they should have like, what happened to Atlantis? They left. What happened to the uh, the crew of Universe that you know was stuck in galaxies away? Uh, they could have started trying to answer those questions uh, instead of like rebooting yeah, it. Or I really enjoyed Atlantis. Atlantis was the show that I got to see from start to finish. Um, uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't have a Stargate SG. One started on, I believe it was Stars Channel or, you know, it was a yeah. cable channel. And well, I didn't I get there until, until they moved it to sci-fi. So even though they showed those episodes, I didn't really get to, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to see it first run. I did see the movie, the original movie in the, in the theater. Um, but um, Atlantis was the one that I connected with perhaps more so because I got to see it from start to finish. I did not like Stargate universe. Um, I, uh, you know, I know that they were attempting to make it darker. They, they, they just sci-fi channel had just had the, their success with the reboot of, of Galactica and they wanted to capture a similar tone as, as I recall. Uh, um, But I think, what for me, and I'm, you know, just speaking for me, but I just could not connect with a lot of the, the, the main characters. I, I didn't, I didn't like them. Um, there was only maybe one or two characters that I really liked and I just didn't feel that the chemistry was there. And I, I know, you know, I know the show has fans. In fact, you know, that was one thing that, that Todd and I actually disagreed with. He was, he, he, he kind of liked the show and I just, you know, and it's rare for me not to like a, a sci-fi show or at least, you know, give it some more time to, but, but I, I found it very difficult to, to watch. I just didn't like 
the structure of it or the um, a lot of the characters. And I found that there was episodes where the civilians were trying to take over from the military. And I found that I was you were supposed to root for the military, but I was kind of rooting for the civilians. Um, the, the, the character of the, that he went on to play, the Rumpelstiltskin character, um, yeah, he's a yeah, brilliant yeah. He was he also in, um, he was in um, um, one of the James Bond movies as the, as the main, you know, as one of the villains. Um, but he's a, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's he was a cannibal in Stargate Universe. He was kind of the he was a scientist, but he was kind of the d- d- devious guy. But even though I, I kind of understood that, he, I, I kind of felt they were kind of like picking on him a little too much. Um, and I was kind of rooting for him. And he's not the guy you were supposed to be rooting for. So, um, and the and the <laughs> actress who plays who now plays. Uh, May in um, Agents of Shield. She was also in Stargate Universe. Um, the the only the, the the three characters that I actually did like was there was a young soldier who had who who liked the the senator's daughter and I liked the senator's daughter or congressman's daughter um, uh-huh. and of course and, and and kind of the tech nerd guy the the poor guy who ends up getting left, you know, they're they all put into deep freeze and they didn't have enough cryo chambers, I guess. Right. And he's the one who gets, who basically will die because he, he'll be on this long journey home. Um, and, and he, he ended up getting the, 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 the short straw and, 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 you know, was on the ship. And I thought that was just a terrible way to end the show. Um, but the ratings weren't there. Um, and I remember I, that they left it hanging too, though, uh, and that's why I think if they bring it back, they should do it in the same universe because uh, they could spend the first year or two just filling in the blanks. <laughs> what happened between the yeah. end of the show? Yeah. What's yeah, going just, on? I just didn't get a lot of warm fuzzies. It just didn't. Even though they brought back, uh, you know, like now General O'Neill, they they had him for right. an episode or two. Um, but I just didn't get, uh, uh, it just didn't feel enough like Stargate, whereas Atlantis was very much connected to SG-1, um, and it had that nice balance of humor, action, uh, drama. Um, Stargate Universe just seemed too dark, and, and I also didn't like that whole premise of the body swapping thing. That just seemed stupid. Um and I thought it stretched things a little too much, um, but and and just for me, I just didn't like the characters. I just didn't care whether they got home or not, except for those three. Um, and uh, you know, and and maybe around that time when that show came out, um, which seems like a very long time ago, because I guess it was, um, well, within the last ten years. They also came out with with Warehouse 13, and unlike Stargate Universe, even though the two shows came out around the same time, uh, I loved Warehouse 13 because you just love those characters. You just you, I, you That's know you, very important. Yes. you just you just wanted to hang with these people. They were such fun people, and um, even if the scripts was like you know there there were episodes where I remember watching it. It was like I don't even know what's happening, but I don't care. 
Um, I just want to see how they all interact, you know, uh, and um, the, the young man, and I, and I can't remember his, his character name, much less his actor name, but he was at shore leave. And uh, as, as was the, the brilliant older the lead of the show, who was also in an episode of Next Gen. He was the uh, uh, the alien who collected. He was kind of like Marvel Comics collector, uh, but in in Next Gen, and and, and he had uh, he had captured data to put in his collection. I don't know if you remember that episode, but yeah, I, that episode yes, was, I remember it. And uh, they were at this convention, and they they had the same kind of chemistry. Uh, off screen as they did on screen, you know, like they were just a lot of fun joking around and uh, shared a lot of great stories. And it just seemed like they were having a lot of fun doing that show. And, uh, and they were worried kind of that, that the next season would be their last, you know, um, but it didn't, it ended up being like two seasons, but you know, that, that was a good group of people that you could kind of identify with. And, um, to me, Stargate Universe just missed the mark. But Didn't do it. you know, that's just my opinion. It's just my opinion. You know, my, my wife didn't care for Star Trek Universe uh, either. Um, it wasn't my favorite format. I actually like uh, the first uh, seven or eight seasons of SG One the best. Uh, then I liked Atlantis. Uh, then I liked the uh, SG one the last uh, couple of seasons where they, it seemed like a totally different television show almost. They should have like made, called it Stargate Commander or you know or something. And uh, yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah, it's just and, and I think I think they were trying to do the a whole the storytelling a little bit different. And I guess they thought well, Galactica was at that point so successful. Um, you know, and to to adopt that kind of gritty, um, you know, tone, um, and I and I think it was too too jarring, you know. Um, and and speaking of you know Galactica, if we go off on a, on a tangent, uh, there's been lots of rumors that they they were going to bring back, uh, they were going to reboot that yet again. And I heard, the original yeah. thought was that they were going to do what I had hoped they were going to do, which was to kind of go back to the original Galactica uh, or kind of do a reboot of that or bl- somehow blend elements of, you know, both, both the original yes. and, the, and the reboot. But now the, the, what I've heard is that, uh, and I believe Alan Moore is, is doing it again, uh, is doing something further with the rebooted Galactic, Galactica universe. So I don't know exactly what that means. Um, I mean, the show is, is, is done. It's finished. They, they had a, you know, kind of an oddball ending to it, but I mean, it was, it, 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 it concluded. Um, yeah. So there's no place, no real place for a sequel. So I don't know where, what what they would possibly do, but it, to me it was disappointing in that while I enjoyed the new Galactica, certainly I enjoyed Galact the the new Galactica more than I ever liked you know Stargate Universe, but um you know but I had a profound love for the original Galactica, you know I I I, I don't often 
like reboots, um, but I did appreciate what they did for the new Galactica. You know, it was a different kind of story and, 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 and tweaked elements, but I really, you know, more than just for the nostalgia sake of it, loved the original Galactica, which was a lot more fun and, um, you know, so I was kind of hoping that we were going to get something that harkened back to uh, to that age, but I, I guess not. Um, I'm looking forward to whatever they do. I like both Galacticas uh, and some of the uh, um, novelizations that took it in a totally different direction. I was excited with, uh, mm. you know, uh, it coming back. Um, I liked Caprica, and unfortunately, just when it found its voice, they canceled it. Yeah. Uh, and went to the to Galactica, um, the uh, the short series that, that, where I think they did a few streaming episodes of like Young Adama. Uh, I even like that, although <laughs> it wasn't as good as Caprica or, or Battlestar Galactica. Um, so I'm hoping they bring it back too. Um, our journey is uh, approaching its end. I wanted to share some information uh, with you before we conclude for today. Um, starting next month, um, our show is going to be in three 40-minute segments rather than uh, two one-hour segments. So you're going to have the first uh, segment. You're welcome to stay for the second segment, too, which is going to be uh, organizing everybody who's involved with uh, the Pride of Olympus so far, or the Argo, um, and getting, like, meetings going. And also, if you have folks uh, on the Challenger who want to play, I'd love to interview them. You know, and this way, it'll be the journey of uh, the, the club coalescing. And then um, yeah. Nick... Michelle are going to have their show, Scholars from the Edge of Time, and since they're part of this too, they're welcome to come, you know, also. So uh, the middle thing will kind of be a blending, and this way uh, you and I will be free to, uh, like we did today and, and we've done on, at other times, uh, we can explore a wider uh, range of shows, and uh, so I enjoy, because uh, um, you know a lot more than I know. And so I enjoyed learning from you. And of course I always enjoy talking to you. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. I think that's, that, that will be very exciting. And Um, uh, then of the special on uh, uh, some Thursdays. Uh, So uh, there too, you know, we'll, we'll continue the adventure. Yes. And and Thursdays, um, Unlike, you know, when I worked elsewhere, Thursdays were my night. Um, but Thursdays are now generally clear. Um, and, and usually my meeting nights for things that I cover are Tuesday and Wednesday. And not every Tuesday and Wednesday, but at least twice during the month. Although next month, I believe one of them only meets once. So, you know, so um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to uh, the, the change in format. Not not that anything was wrong with the, the current format, but this this will certainly allow us to expand uh, uh, in many different areas. So it'll be a lot of fun. And I'll invite you to the thing we're doing on Facebook, so you could be as part of that as your busy schedule allows. Thank you again so very much. Uh, before we conclude, is there anything new and exciting coming up very soon for? Uh, um, District 7 in the USS Challenger? Well, um, 
Re- Region 7, we've got our conference this, this weekend at uh, the Cherry Hill Crown Plaza. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, we have a lot of different panels and things lined up and, um, and, and, and just seeing each other again. It'll, it'll be a, it'll wonderful time. Uh, I know Challenger then has our meeting the, the next um, week, the, the weekend after that on, on Sunday. Um, and we've got uh, Van Nation coming up in November on the 23rd, um, the weekend before that. That Sunday, um, we've been invited to to be at a toy collectible show in Tom's River at the Clarion Hotel in Tom's River. We we had done that back in June for their first show, and it was a, a big hit. So we were very happy. Uh, I, I happened to see the the uh, the um, person who runs it at the, the toy show that I was at on uh, yesterday, and and he said, "Oh, you guys want a table, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> Sure, so, uh, you know, free is great, and um, it, you know, and it, it's right in our hometown of, of Tom's River, you know, uh, our base. So uh, it's a great place to get the message out. Plus, it'll allow us to help promote for Fan Nation uh, because it's the week before. Um, so uh, if, you know, those are the two things. Emails with this information with the links. I'll gladly promote them as well. Great, I appreciate that. I will do that. Thanks again. Um, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Uh, You're awesome, Bob, and uh, Joyce Journeys and Great Adventures. Thank you. You're awesome as well, and it's always a pleasure. And we're going to listen you too. We're going to listen to Bone Post Orchestra's Cry Freedom, and then we'll be back with Scholars from the Edge of Time. Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany, their guest tonight is author Kathleen. Kaufman.
Voice of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am honored to announce the hosts of our next segment, Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany, scholars from the edge of time. And today their guest is Kathleen Kaufman, who is an author. And uh, greetings and welcome, everybody. Uh, good evening, Thank Hercules. You. Hi, uh, Kathleen. Hi, Hercules. Hi, Nick. Uh, I'm looking forward to tonight's show. Hi. I will be here, and I hand the scepter of Zeus uh, to Nicholas and Michelle. So uh, have fun, guys. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Hi, Kathleen. It's great to hear your voice. Oh, it's great to hear yours. Thank you so much for having me right. on, you guys. This is awesome. And now that you have the scepter of Zeus, I'm even more impressed. <laughs> nice. Well, well, we aim to impress. 
right? All I right. didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> All right. So quick bio. So just to introduce, uh, whoops, alarm went off. All right. So Kathleen Kaufman <laughs> is a Los Angeles-based writer of young adult, dark, and horror fiction. Michelle and I first met her via our Los Angeles chapter of the Horror Writers Association, and we've known her for a couple of years now. She's super smart, friendly, and very supportive. She's oh. authored a plethora of <laughs> uh, the Laird Berlar. What's that? Listen to that. Oh. That's nice. <laughs> well, we're trying to be, you know, put you in the best spotlight possible, which is not hard to do because you're already there. Right. Oh. So, Kathy. Kathleen's offered a, a plethora of books, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but the Laird, Laird Baylor, which is currently under development to be a film from Echo Lake Studios, Hag, mm-hmm. and her newest novel, Devil, due to be released next week from Turner Publishing. She's also a teacher, a photographer, and she may have been a doppelganger for Agent Dana Scully. So, hi, <laughs> Kathleen. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me on, you guys. Oh, you're so welcome, Kathleen. It's it's a pleasure to have you here, and you're in uh, very good company. We had uh, Lee on, I believe, last month, was it? Yes. Uh, Lee Murray oh, on last month. We're very excited to have, have you here with us this evening. Um, we have a number of questions uh delving into your background and your writing journey um, and then to uh, your your books and then kind of uh, a wrap-up and talk about, uh, find out more about what you do when you're not writing and uh, okay. photography and so forth. So I um, thought we'd go ahead and get started with the background and your writing journey. And, and I guess the, the first question is, what led you to writing with purpose? Wow. Okay. So I thought about this question. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> that's a big one. Um, have I started writing with purpose? <laughs> that's really the question. Um, I started writing with intention of putting my work out there in the world probably about six years ago. And I think I've always written, always um, for just myself or for whatever reasons, but I think about six years ago, I started writing with the intention of actually trying to do something with it. And that was interesting. You know, I mean, it it was a series, it was a project, it was this Laird Baylor and I wrote that with, and then after I finished it, I thought, huh, I should try to set this out somewhere and see what happens. See if anybody bites. And they did pleasantly enough. So I have always written, but I think writing with purpose in terms of purpose of maybe other people seeing it rather recently in my career. So. And, and was there a, a catalyst for that switch uh, where you decided that you wanted to um, open it up to more public forums? Well, I had self-published a book back in 2008, and I think I always I had it in my head that maybe I would try it again. But when I started writing Laird Baylor, I had oh 
just as I was writing it and the, the long, the more I got into the process of creating it, I had a realization that this, this is okay. I mean, I think I should try to do something with this. And I felt like it was kind of important. And Laird Baylor in particular deals with kind of my own personal struggle with anxiety and dealing with, dealing with that, like so many people that I know. And I thought, especially while working on that project, I thought I would have liked to have had this book (laughs) at some point in my life. (laughs) So it would have been nice. Uh, So I, that was kind of the switch and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until it was finished and I decided that I was going to send it off to a professional editor as opposed to just shove it into the back files on my computer and never look at it again. And then when it came back from the editor, I thought, oh, okay, well, I can fix this. I can actually send this out. And, and, and I did. So it was, it was, in terms of writing with purpose, it's funny because I know so many people who write just just write, you know, and they keep everything locked away in a drawer. And I think that's okay if that's, you know, if it's helping and it's something you want to be doing. But in terms of writing with the intent of, of sending it into the world, that's been a pretty recent shift, I think, for me. Okay. Um, and then kind of looking back uh, – what was the uh, what was the first story that you that you wrote? Doesn't have to be when you were you know writing with purpose, but you know since you said that you've been writing most of your life, what was that first story? Ooh, so I was in about fourth grade, and I went to a really tiny little elementary school in a mountain town in Colorado, and so I had the same. I actually went to school with basically the same kids from kindergarten all the way through high school. And I wrote a kid, I wrote a story about every, that included every kid in my class, all like 20 of them, right? And included every kid in the class. And I think most of them got eaten by werewolves at the end, especially the boys. <laughs> and there was one little like badass gang of like werewolf fighting girls who were my friends and we survived, right? And I, my, my teacher and probably was what a lapse of judgment really let me read this to the entire class because she thought oh this is great you should read this and they loved it and they wanted a sequel so I had to bring back you know I had to bring back all of, I had to bring back a bunch of undead were zombies in the next book to fight and then they were killed again in book two you know and then they had to return in book three as like ectoplasm undead were zombie ghost monsters uh, I was really into ghostbusters at the time that I was creating these things and and there were just many, many more books in the series, but she kept letting me write them, and she, and she insisted on let me reading them. And everybody, by this point, I had like a fourth grade fan base, you know, probably uh-huh. the most popular I'll ever be in my writing, really. And I, they wanted to know what happened, you know. And every week, people would be like, "Okay, what happened to me? Did I get killed again, or did I get to come back?" Or yeah, yeah. So you could thank my fourth grade teacher really for that complete break in instructional activity while I got up and read these crazy stories in <laughs> the entire room. You know, it's so funny you tell that story because there's that, you know, kind of meme or that joke that goes around that says like, you know, don't, don't piss off an author because they'll put you in your book and kill it and stuff. Right? And here you have your classmates like, yes, kill me. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, and I think for them it really was like quite a charge, you know, like and and especially the people who, in my memory, especially the people who got killed, like in the most gruesome ways. Um, And we had HBO as a kid, so I had seen a lot of really gruesome ways, you know, for people to get killed. So, you know, that by that point, they they were really like the most into it. This was like childhood in the 80s is what this was called, because this would be like a parent conference now, you know, and like... (laughs) Do you understand the story your child brought to school today? You know, that's what would be happening now. But in the 80s, they thought it was awesome. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I kind of missed that. <laughs> right? No, no, different. So it sounds like your fourth grade teacher was was a very uh, influential early uh, person, uh, proponent of your writing did you have other yeah. um, early uh, influences or supportive uh, network uh, for your writing? Oh, you know, I grew up in a family of readers, and I grew up very much surrounded by books and surrounded by uh, literature and surrounded by people who really appreciated books. And I had so many authors that I loved as a kid and I I think I lived in the Madeline Lingle books the Wrinkle in Time books and the C.S. Lewis the Chronicles of Narnia books and Michael End the never-ending story I must have read oh a gazillion times and so many authors in my childhood really kind of propelled me through and then as I got into like being a, a young teen and a teenager there was the V.C. Andrews and the Anne Rices and Neil Gaiman. I was a huge, uh, no, I was a huge graphic novel fan. And like, I didn't even, you know, that was a, like amazing breakthrough to me that you could have this visual type of short story. And Sandman was just an absolutely like, absolute like breakthrough for me. I just couldn't believe that you could do this. And uh, Margaret Atwood and just so many other authors that I just kind of lived inside their books, I think, as I grew up and as I kind of developed my love of literature. Mm-hmm. Um, was horror kind of early on uh, your passion? It absolutely was. I always gravitated towards it in either movies or books. And almost without exception, really. And I couldn't really tell you what it was that was so appealing about it. Other than I have always absolutely loved to be scared. I like haunted houses and I like um, scary movies. And the charge of being scared and the idea, the, the intellectual idea question behind it of what scares us and why it scares us has always been really fascinating to me oh okay um and um that's that's actually really interesting and what what kind of things were you picking out as you were watching these different shows and reading books what did you kind of find out about yourself in that process I always found it so interesting that the monster never seems to be really the problem. And I think that's true across the board. I love zombie books, movies, television shows, you name it. 
But the zombies are hardly ever actually the problem. Like they figure out the zombies really early. You know, we build a wall, we, you know, get them in the brain. We figure those out pretty early. It's people that are the problem. It's people and their capacity for horror and greediness and power grabs. And it's, it's that classic scene in the Dawn of the Dead, the original, you know, when the biker gang rolls up on the mall and you just know they're screwed. Like, you know, they're in trouble. That's it for mm-hmm. them. Uh, it's, it seems like that at the end of Night of the Living Dead when, he, when he's shot in the head by the cops or the vigilante gang. You know, it's people. We're really like the much bigger issue in it. And I've always found that interesting about horror movies. It's uh, the whole idea behind the haunting of uh, a lot of Shirley Jackson stories. You know, people, it's some of, I love Shirley Jackson so much because so much of her work is centers around the idea that it doesn't have to be supernatural. It's just that people are crazy enough in that capacity. And, and we, we don't need a supernatural monster. We're just, by nature, frightening creatures. Yeah. I was thinking about, as you were talking about people, the, the concept of, you know, comp- competency uh, of your characters. And just the fact, one of the things that I always kind of, you know, aggravates me when I, when I watch a show <laughs> or I'm reading a book is the fact that the characters are not competent. And they should be, right. but they're not. And it's like uh, for some writers, that's their way of kind of creating the weakness and, and propelling the the plot. So I know I'm sure we'll 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 touch on this in a in a moment. But what were you seeing as you were watching these different um, uh, shows and movies? Uh, did that key in for you as a writer? Uh, absolutely, and I think. As a storyteller, whenever you watch those movies, because I know exactly what you're talking about, you know, the girl's going upstairs when she should be running out the door, the, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the horrible decisions mm-hmm. that people in horror movies make, generally. And it's interesting as a storyteller, because I think these stories get the most interesting when you take those people and you twist them just enough to make them do something slightly different. You know, they get left instead of right when they would have turned. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I love, um, oh, like I, said, I just said, Shirley Jackson, but The Haunting of Hill House. I mean, it's, just, it's like, to me, those characters are so fascinatingly quirky and well-developed and competent, really. I mean, like you said, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, distinction to make. But when you look at that and you look at the, the way that they function, I just finished reading uh, The Sundial, by Shirley Jackson kind of recently. And I was absolutely just gobsmacked by that book in the sense of how smart all the characters are and how smartly written they are. And they're crazy and not all of them are very nice, but they are absolutely just brilliantly intelligently written. And it's not true in a lot of horror things. And I think as a kid growing up watching this stuff, all I could think was, well, I can do better than that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I want the heroine who actually goes in and grabs the butcher knife as opposed to, you know, lets the killer in and makes him a cup of tea. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
as a small uh, little aside, I think that's what we'll see when we uh, talk about Kate in a double a little bit later on in this interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'd love to kind of turn a little bit because I think we'll build on this um, later uh, as we talk about your books, but I'd love to turn a little bit to your research methodology. Um, Mm. You know, as a fiction, you have to make a lot of things up, but you you include um, kind of like local local, uh, places uh, in L.A., um, in your recent book, um, and I'm trying to remember, I think it's the, the sanitarium. And I mm-hmm. just would love to hear about, you know, what is your, your research process and methodology? Um, can you talk a bit about that? Oh, sure. So I was attracted. There's certain historical places anywhere that I'm really, that I'm just kind of morbidly attracted to. And then as I was creating them throughout the book, I I tend to kind of research while I write. I'll write a scene and I realize, ooh, I need some details, and so I'll pause and just start diving into things about it. And I consider it—I don't consider it necessarily an interruption in the writing process. I consider it just sort of an extension of it, because then I'm able to just to kind of go back into the flow of it. But places like McLaren Hall that appear in Davla are. I mean, it was very real. It was a very real place, and it was just a real stain on L.A. history. And it was absolutely fascinating to me, I guess, because I've worked through teaching with so many kids that have grown up and lived in foster care and group homes and this this kind of life. And I've heard some of the horror stories of even the modern-day homes, but there's still this sort of specter of places like McLaren Hall where which were just a step down from juvie for a lot of kids. And it was fascinating to me. And then, of course, you had writers like Janet Fitch, who set a good deal of um, her novel White Oleander in McLaren Hall as well. So I'm not the first one to kind of pick on that one in terms of a, <laughs> of a horror location. It, it writes itself <laughs> in that capacity. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of other places, too. I mean, aside from places, though, what about, like, research into, I don't know phrases, but I know, at least in Hagen, definitely in this one, there's a, there's a strong occult and magical uh, elements, a lot yeah. of, uh, you know, seems folklore-ish at times, or at least seeing mm-hmm. old folklore and new. Has it extended to that? So the Kaich in Hag, that whole folklore thread that runs through Hag, is a real story and it was one that I'd kind of grown up with my my family is ostensibly Scottish and it was one that we had definitely grown up on in terms of old stories that like my grandmother and my great aunt used to tell uh but the Kaich in that folklore the story I always heard was you better be good or the Kaich is going to get you it was one like a boogeyman kind of story and when I started researching the real roots of the Kaich and how she was really sort of a storm hag. I mean, they, they would go out and leave offerings to her for the crops to grow or the winds to not blow or for the fields to not freeze. And if they did, then it was just figured, well, we must have messed it up, you know. Not that she didn't exist. They just figured it did. So I researched a lot of the older stories about the Kaich, and then I also interspersed a lot of the things that I had been told growing up, you know, because I think that's sort of the heart of folklore 
is it's kind of different for every family in terms of how that story has evolved and morphed and become its own kind of had a life of its own in a sense. And the locations in Hag in particular, because it takes place so much in Scotland and in the, kind of the old country. And that was really interesting because some of it came from family records and some of it came from stories of my family having uh, basically been settled in Glasgow up until they came over to the States relatively recently. And some of it was, going through and being like, oh, well, that should work because it's close to this. You know, like it was just not very opportunistic. Uh, it was funny. One of the first things my mom said when she read Hag was, that's not where we lived. We didn't live in that part of town. We would never have been over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's fiction, mom. It, <laughs> come on, work with me. <laughs> so, that's completely inaccurate. Well, and I would imagine that, you know, with the Internet and so forth, that there's, I mean, I find that Google Maps is great for locating things um, and kind of like setting so that it is based on real and, you know, it's not completely, um, you know, um, I guess I don't want to say that it's wrong, but it's just that. Mm -hmm. You know, cemetery is kind of in the the area where you know it should be. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, Google Maps amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and I think I've used it extensively for all of my books. I think in terms of um, location and uh, McLaren Hall in particular, I had to use it for that because I had to. I mean the structure, the outside bones of it are still kind of there, but it's all, there's no getting into it. It's been closed. And when I, the part in Davla that takes place in Chin Li and the Navajo reservation, I've lived in that area and I spent an awful lot of time in Chin Li, but it's changed a lot. And so I've forgotten mm-hmm. a lot of it. So I really had to go on and look up what's this. And then I had to go in and try to find pictures from the eighties when it was, you know, just different. But Google Maps and the Internet is a magical, magical thing. I can't imagine how people researched before <laughs> before this happened. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, it was uh, Encyclopedia uh, Britannica. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, yes. No, no, I, I'm... I'm utterly fascinated by your your research methodology which is to i i'm of the of the cloth or the tapestry of that i have to do a lot of research first before i ever feel confident to write a scene or to kind of get going do you you seem to be utterly comfortable with just like picking out of your imagination do you do an outline um you know how do you kind of start that that process so I'm like an editor's nightmare really because I don't outline anything I really am I'm like an editor's nightmare and I will I've done this to my my publisher twice now where I sent them like an like a proposal for a book and then the book came back to them totally different just totally different (laughs) um I'm the worst really they're gonna like throw things at me but 
Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because I was talking to Alma Katsu uh, at StokerCon this last year, and she's so fascinating. She's such a wonderful, lovely, amazing person. And we were talking about this because she writes so much historical fiction as well for the, for the Hunger and then her newest one coming out about the Titanic, which is amazing. And I, we were talking about the fact that you have some writers who, I mean, the whole book, the point of it is historical detail. And you could read it as a history tome and find out exactly what kind of leather casings were on the, the satchels that the newsboys, you know, were wearing, you know, were carrying the parcels in in that time and period. And, I mean, it's so detailed that you really, the research is meticulous. And then there's stories where it's set in a time and place and it's mostly, it's more about the stories and the history. And I I guess that's kind of where I fall with it because I can write a scene and I can give it a really good guess at what it would be like, but then I have to totally back up, go back in and inject the historical research. And I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. I get it wrong from time. You know, I mean, everybody does, but I'm pretty sure if I ever had any really big history nuts on any of my book, there would be plenty to be um, actually about (laughs) if you went through I had to do extensive research and hag about uh, tattoos and the prevalence of them going back in particularly Scotland in over oh, the 17th and 18th century. And I'm about 98.9% sure I'm right about what <laughs> my information, but it was hard to find because some of the research just isn't easily accessible necessarily. Yeah. Well, um, before we move on into your books, I'd like to ask you a couple of um, questions that will kind of lead into that. So the first is, um, you know, through all of your books, do you have a particular kind of writerly trademark that makes the story distinctly you? Um, You know, basically kind of like if we were looking at films and, you know, Tim Burton is an auteur, Stanley Kubrick, what, Kathleen, (laughs) are you? Auteur of that people can single out and say, yes, I know that's Catherine's writing. My books always tend to have an absurd amount of unpronounceable Gaelic words in them, and um, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Reading public, uh, <laughs> it just happens. They all end up speaking weird, dead languages, and in this book, they have um, not just Gaelic, but they have Navajo, which is I mean, to talk about Gaelic being hard to pronounce, Navajo is downright impossible. Uh, so I, I have a lot of weird language in them, and I think it's the biggest criticism I get from from people is they got frustrated with the language and they didn't want to have to keep looking things up or they didn't want to have to keep guessing at how something was said, and it was frustrating. And, and even though I know that and I hear them on it and I can sympathize with it, I keep doing it. So, Yes, <laughs> yes it, 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 it's tough. But own it because we got to work for our books. That's how I kind of feel about it. I mean, I guess in my, <laughs> it's mean, but I guess I, when I read a book, I like being confused. And so I've left my readers confused, which is not a nice thing to do necessarily. But I like not having everything spelled out for me when I read a book. I like reading something and being like, I wonder what that is. No, and I get really offended in TV and movies, too, when they make it a little too easy for me, when they have the professor character come on and say, oh, well, you know, 
I was just in the other room and I happened to overhear you talking and I actually got to come in and tell you exactly what you do with that thing. You know, and I, I don't want to know that. I want to wonder for 60 minutes, you know, and, and then figure it out later. Yeah. So, I hate when somebody comes by, like they tell you, well, you know, here's, here's what you should be getting at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't you tell me what I should be getting. Pardon? Oh, no, keep oh. going, Kathleen. Oh, no, I didn't say anything. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. No, I, I was just going to make a joke that I like the old 1950s style, though, where the lab coat guy comes in and explains the plot, but it's always something really bad. Like, if you stop the sun from exploding, you can kill the ground worms or something. That's okay. Right. That gets past my mind. Uh, okay. Oh, I don't uh, mind, I like, I don't mind silly villains monologues like that. I really don't. I think they're really funny. I just don't, yeah. So if they're goofy, it's funny. I'm like fine with it. I just, yeah, I, I'm okay with being totally confused and like completely like, I don't know why that thing's attacking anybody. It's a mystery, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, and I'd like to follow up with one other question uh, before we uh, dive into your, your novels. And that is, what do you feel kind of sets your stories apart from other genre writers, what, be it horror or otherwise, you know, where do you where do you feel you are setting yourself apart from other writers? Gaelic language aside. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I feel like my books cross genre a lot, and I don't feel like they sit squarely in horror all the time. They do have horrific moments, mayhaps, but I also feel like they sit in other worlds as well. And Laird Baylor definitely was, I think they classified it specifically as dark fantasy. And it sat in that world more. And Hag was more of a historical fiction. Um, it, it was classified on a lot of like women's literature or feminist literature lists. And Dodla, I think, is more of the, tra- is, is closer to a traditional horror book than I've written in the past. But it still has, I mean, it's still definitely not going to be, if you're looking for a straight horror novel, it's probably going to be a little outside of that. Uh, I feel like my my work crosses into different genres, and it kind of mixes them up a little bit. Um, You know, it's funny because I don't write my things have with any idea of what they're going to be. I don't, I can't even think in that sense. I can't sit down and say, I'm going to write a science fiction story. I'm going to write a horror book or whatever. It's just how it turns out. And then the labels always get put on it after the fact. So I was always really interested at the labels that Hag received because I thought, huh, I guess it is that. All right. You say so. Um, and I think we'll kind of turn over, and I think that's a great segue into your novel. So, Kathleen, Michelle and I, we're really bad friends because we have not read. <laughs> you are the, not. We have, but, but, but we've read your newest one, and yes. that's the important one for this uh, interview. But we, we don't want to skip Laird Baylor and Hag, so I was hoping if you could take it just a uh, a couple minutes, maybe, if you want to describe each of them, you know, the plot, what you're kind of proud about them, what they accomplished for you. Sure. And you're not bad friends. You're wonderful friends. Listen to you, too. Uh, 
opportunities. So, okay, so Laird Baylor was my my first kind of seriously published book, and it was, as I kind of said before, it was sort of my ode to anxiety, and it's about a little boy, Jamie, who is seven years old, and he tumbles down a hill in the very first scene of the book, and he ends up in another world. He crosses it through a portal into the night forest, which is sort of the in-between between living and dying and crossing into the next world and staying put, and he's trapped. And he doesn't know how, and he's seven, right? But he's aging rapidly because time doesn't work the same in the night forest. So he's aging rapidly, at least in body, but he's still seven. I mean, for him, a few minutes have passed, but for his body and his, you know, in, in, in his physical growth, he's getting rapidly bigger and bigger throughout the book at a very fast pace. And he has to deal with this world that is basically composed of nightmares, all the things that we're afraid of in our waking life, manifest in this forest and he has to find his way out and that's the story of his journey through this place built of nightmares and his nightmare is the biggest of all the Laird Baylor this monster that's always chased him that's always been present and he's he's physically my my son he was physically described as my son who was seven at the time that I started writing it and he's mentally me. My son is way more together than this. I was not, though, when I was seven, and I'm not now, quite frankly. Um, I've always had anxiety <laughs> issues, you know, and I've always been a kind of a mess. And it was all about the things, the weird ways that anxiety creeps up on you, haunts you, the minute you think you're okay and then you're not again. And uh, the idea of having to come to grips with the fact that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to be afraid and it's okay to kind of embrace the things that we're afraid of. And that's Laird Baylor. It's it, the inception of the idea came from my, my then seven year old son um, almost tumbling down a big hill. I mean, he really did. He took one step and he was bouncing around in front of us. He, he almost just went head over heels down this hill. And I thought, Oh God, what if he fell down the hill and disappeared forever? It's like one of these horrible parent thoughts that you have. It's like the worst mm-hmm. case scenario. And I went home and immediately started writing. And it just kind of came out. And that's what it turned into. And I wrote it without, like, I just wrote crazy stuff in there. And I thought, well, nobody's ever going to read this. But then as I got farther into the book, I thought, well, yeah, maybe somebody will read it. <laughs> but they kept all the crazy stuff, so ha-ha, right? The list is <laughs> there somewhere. And and Hag, uh, so it's interesting because Hag is really a lot of my own family history. And it's a story of a line of Scottish witches. And it goes from all the way back to ancient times, the descendants of this ancient Scottish storm hag, this, focus, this creature out of folklore, the Kaich, who, as I mentioned before, in folklore really was this kind of monster that they thought lived out in the lowlands and you went out and you gave offerings to the kaich and the kaich would then ensure that you had a good crop or uh, that the weather remained strong you know or whatever they were trying to have happen and in my story the kaich has daughters right she'll take you know humans you know at her will and she has all these daughters but the daughters forget 
exactly almost immediately upon leaving her, they forget who they are and they forget their past and they forget where they came from and they forget that they too have these powers that have descended from their, from their mother and they go off into the world. And so I follow one particular line of the Kaiche's daughters as they remember generation after generation, they remember a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more about who they are and what they're capable of and maybe where they came from. And it, focuses, it intersperses that with the story of Alice Grace, who is really focused after my, my own mother, who's had an absolutely extraordinary life and um, doesn't own being a witch, but I kind of think she might be because she has had some creepy uh, experiences. And she's one of those who just knows, you know, you don't have to tell her anything. She just knows. And she's just had some really extraordinary things happen to her life. And I, and I wrote the story of these witches and a, a lot of the things that happened to Alice Grace throughout the book are stories that happened to my mother. And a lot of the stories of the Kaiche's daughters as they come up through Scotland were the stories that I grew up with about my, my great, great grandmothers and great, great aunts and, and people that had been in my family. And I just kind of put them all in story for it, fashion and tied them all together. Uh, because it's it's been it was it was funny because I I sat down to write it because my mother was clearing out her house and I became the recipient of this book of photographs and all of these handwritten genealogy records and I had this book of photos that went all the way back into the like the late 1700s which was amazing and I realized I was the only one who knew not only who these people were but all the stories that accompanied them and it was this enormous weight that kind of hit me like I have to do something with this because if I don't you know this ties with me (laughs) or I torture my own kid with all this stuff and leave him to do it uh but I had all these things in my head and so that was sort of my in a lot of ways it was my way of preserving a lot of the history and there's an awful lot of fiction in there too don't get me wrong um if you read hag you know we're not we're not quite, you know, as scary as all that, but still there was an awful lot of things like one of my many great grandmothers really was a medium in Glasgow. Like she was a part of the spiritualism movement and she claimed to be able to contact the dead and the whole nine yards. Um, And I had another great grandmother who claimed to be a water diviner uh, that she could find water for farmers and things of that nature. And it's just, there's this weird history of fascinatingly awesome women that came out of my mother's side of the family that and now they all made it into a book. So I'm either going to be haunted by them or they're happy about it, but they haven't let me know yet. So we'll figure it out. Well, the jury's still out. I'm going to go with happy because it's nice yeah. being uh, finally immortalized in some uh, fashion. And, and right. it's such incredible you know, to, you know, one, that you're writing what you know, but that you documented that history in such an incredible way. So I think that's just amazing. All right. So I think it's time to talk about, okay, I've, I've been saying this like five different ways, and that's your intention. <laughs> I confessed earlier. So I'm going to go with Diabla. So. You're Diabla. No, yeah, so Diabla or um, Diabla or Diabla uh, uh-huh. is all – it depends where you are in the U.K. as to how you pronounce it. 
So I think I'm a, Gavla. <laughs> huh? So not only did I'm I a pick one, a crazy Gaelic word, but I cre- picked one that has like ten different pronunciations. I'll give so, it my best. Sorry, sorry, so, kind readers. You're good. I, <laughs> <laughs> so Gavla. Taking place in L.A. during the 1980s, it focuses on Kate, a precocious girl at the age of 10 who lives in a cul-de-sac populated by her extended family who are all part of a cult called the Society. When Kate's mom falls ill while being possessed of maleficent beings, things go awry and Kate is plucked from her brother and father and institutionalized in the notorious McLaren Hall. As she begins to develop and hone her powers, Another powerful cult based in Salt Lake City sets in motion a plan to abduct Kate for their own purposes. Kate must deal with the confinement of McLaren Hall, all the while dodging the SLC cult and even her own father, who's bent on revenge against his own daughter. So, where did this one come from? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... um, All right, so I I, I found this documentary, the very spark the very like inciting moment of this book came from watching a documentary called belief, the possession of Janet Moses that was on, it's probably still out there. I think it was on Netflix at the time. Uh, And it was about a woman, Janet Moses in New Zealand, who was part of the Maori tribe. And I mean, in realistic terms, she probably had a mental illness. She probably had manic depression or, some bipolar disorder or something was going on with her, but her family diagnosed her as being possessed. And this was a, this was a true story. This was a documentary about a a real thing that happened. And in their attempt to exercise the demon out of her, they killed her. And it was this absolutely terrible story. And there was so much superstition and they, they felt like they were drawing off of uh, Mayoran traditions and when they ended up in court, the New Zealand court system, proving itself to be a lot more intuitive than ours, uh, brought in all these Maori elders who said, no, that's not what we do. You don't know about your culture. And the court system kind of decided, well, they don't, they're not murderers and they're not dangerous. They don't know their culture. You know, we did this because we colonialized their culture and stole their background. And so they all ended up basically not in prison. They ended up in being trained by these Maori elders. And I guess the whole story was absolutely horrific what happened to this woman and incredibly uplifting as to how it was handled. And I watched it probably 2,000 gazillion times because it was fascinating. Uh, And I saw this and I couldn't help but keep thinking while I was watching this documentary that, again, it's that whole thing with horror movies that we were talking about earlier. It's not devils and demons that are the problem. It's people. And it's people that are the scariest things out there. And that's kind of where Kate was born from. So what if you have the reincarnation of the devil, right, or a devil? And what if she's really not that bad? What if she's not the problem? What if the problem is really the system around her? And I think your title, as Gaelic as it is, is multifaceted because at first glance you think it is a descriptor of Kate, but from Kate's perspective, you know, there's, you know, a whole bunch of other antagonists against her anyways. You know, the, you know, mm-hmm. the institution, uh, Ann Bell, 
uh, her kind of sort of friend who's not really her friend, but, you know, part of the mm-hmm. cult, her own sister. So it's kind of interesting that who who really is, you know, the devil in this uh, story. And it's pretty easy mm-hmm. to uh, prescribe her because she's, she's kind of a character that makes me think of, like, uh, Drew Barrymore from the Firestarter combined with uh, Wednesday Adams in a weird sort of way, you know, dark <laughs> and good but powerful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanted her to be, and she is a devil, a devil, right? She's the re, she's the reborn reincarnation of of this of the the goddess of the dead. At the same time, she's a little kid, you know. She's 10 when the book starts and she's 13 um, as it, you know, as it moves on and towards the end. And, and she's a kid and she's trying to deal with this stuff. And she's at the mercy of so many of these other forces that are committing such more grievous harm, not just to her, but to around them. The, the system that keeps her locked in McLaren Hall, these, um, the cultists that are, that seek her out from Salt Lake and the people that she lives with in the society that basically abandon her and refuse to claim her and care for her and her father who, well, you know, turns out to not be such a great guy either. I won't give it away. So, yeah, it's really sad to see uh, her, her father's kind of transformation because I was, and Miguel, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, nuts. But yeah, we'll, we'll leave that did. one for later. <laughs> <laughs> so, question about this book, though, is because it does take place during the 80s, although it's not like overtly 80s in a weird sort of way, because, mm-hmm. you know, right now there's there's a very 80s nostalgia revival going on. You know, some of it's right. very in your face, like Stranger Things with its synthwave soundtrack and outrun style. This one seems more subtle. You know, I, I, I want to say it's not like a Stephen King book, but I think it kind of taps into a little bit of that era in a bit. So would you consider this book kind of part of the larger, like, you know, 80s uh, resurgence canon? Or is that more kind of coincidental for you? Or maybe you were bringing in, you know, some of the stuff that, I mean, again, you were growing up watching HBO during the 80s. So that's a lot of Fright <laughs> Night after, you know, right. kind of thought goes together yeah so it's interesting because I think I originally said it in the 80s because I was 10 years old in the 80s you know and that was where I was drawing from but what are my memories of being 10 11 12 years old in the 80s you know I was uh, born in 76 and so you know around 85 86 I was at the exact same age where Kate is and I think it's where I said it originally just purely for that reason and then I started having so much fun with the 80s references, but I didn't want it to be really over the top. I, that was one thing I was very cautious of. I I loved Ready Player One. The book and the movie was, was a blast, too. And I found it, at times, really hard because everything was such a reference to something in the 80s or 70s. And I had trouble with it, and I thought, well, I don't want to make it quite so overt as maybe some other books that that did that, that went that direction. But I was having so much fun because I was able to be like, yeah, no, I was reading that D.C. Andrews book at that age. And I was binge watching Days of Our Lives when no one was watching. 
and all of these plot lines that I was that were mixing around in my head, which was basically the roots of gothic horror, Days of Our Lives in particular, is were all there, and I already had it all all up there, and I found it to be. Oh, incredibly fun. And it's funny because there was a point in which my publisher wanted me to cut the V.C. Andrews books, and they said, well, nobody's going to get them. And I said, oh, no, 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 here's the thing. The people who get them are really going to get them. They're going to get them yeah. big time. Yeah. I, yeah, right? I mean, Michelle, that, you that is so- read the- Yeah, because I, I read all those, and I was also thinking, <laughs> you know, to – some of the, you know, the days of our lives and stuff. I'm, mine was General Hospital if I got home in mm-hmm. time. But, but you know what, though, that ties <laughs> right? to what you said earlier today is you got to make your readers work for it, you know. You put all yeah. the Gaelic words in. Uh, so, hey, if they don't get a pop culture reference that's a little obscure or not so obscure, but the ones that really do get it, the ones that don't, maybe they'll go out and seek this out and they'll, They'll see that book like, oh, oh, they're up in the attic doing bad stuff to each other. Ooh, that's kinky. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I figure that if you don't get it, then it's not that reference isn't for you. You know, that's okay. But the people who get, especially the VC Andrew stuff, oh, they get it because my friends who are were the VC Andrews files, you know, back in the eighties. Oh, they we lived in those books. Like that was not just a reading experience. It was a it was like a possession. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting because I think there's something so interesting about V.C. Andrews in the way that she's able to so totally represent kind of the mental state of teenagers, teenage girls. And it's a strange thing about that, that she was able to really capture because these insane things happen in those books. But at the same time, you leave them thinking, that is me. I could be doing that. That is exactly like me. She gets me. So, Kathleen, we got about eight minutes left because the time flew that round. So I'm going to ask you kind of one big question, and then we'll spend the rest of the time, you know, kind of winding things down and, you know, promoting your next type of stuff. But I guess it's going to be a compound question, and that's – what did you want to accomplish with uh, Diabla? And secondly, you know, when I look at all the promotional stuff with it, it says it's a book one. So is there really a book two with this as well? And if so, something you want to foreshadow with that? And that's not a shout out Yes. So I think my biggest goal with this was I wanted to really put the idea out there that the devil is not what we need to be afraid of. It's not superstition and it's not mythology and it's not religion that we need to be spooked about. It's people. And it's our own capacity within each and every one of us to be cruel, to be um, careless with our, with our feelings and our actions towards each other, that we are the devil, you know, in every possible way. We don't need to go seek it out outside of ourselves. That if we check that within ourselves, maybe that's, that, maybe that's how the world changes really. And we stop seeking that kind of fear from alternate places. Um, now there is a book too, and it's actually at the publisher right now being edited. And this was one that I wrote, I gave them a pitch for, and it turned out to be 100% different than the book I sent them. <laughs> Sorry, Turner. Um, but there is a book too. Uh, 
and a weirdly, it doesn't have a title yet because they requested very, very kindly, I might add, that maybe I think of a title that was pronounceable, you know, as opposed to the one I had given it. And I think they're, you know, I think it's a fair request, really. <laughs> so it's as of yet untitled. It's just book two. But book two is, is really, I'm so excited about it because book two, we are telling the story of Ansley, who is Kate's great grandmother, who is in the beginning of Davla, right? She's, if you guys remember, she is the, the grandmother, the matriarch, the matriarch of, this, of the society. And she's been running at the time Davla opened. She's been running, running it for generations. You know, she's been running it for decades here. So this goes back to 1920s Ireland and tells the story of Ansley as she is coming up and how she takes the cult, the society away from a patriarchal line and turns it into what it is eventually when we meet Kate. But it also intersperses the society as it exists years later after, after uh, Davla ends and well, and where Kate's role in that and Alan's role as well. So without giving too much away for the end of Davla, that's where book two is headed and I'm super excited for it. It's going to be fantastic. Well, we're, Super excited for that as well. We'll definitely pluck it up and give it a read. But this one's got to come out first. And so I think that's a great segue into uh, this book comes out next week. And you have a book launch Ah! event next week. So lay the details on us. Tip your stuff. Yeah. So we launch on, it is out available to the public on October 29th, which is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. And we have our launch party. (laughs) We have our launch party on November 8th at Book Soup in West Hollywood at 7 p.m. It is going to be so much fun. We have swag bags. We're going to have delicious snacks. We're gonna, it's going to be so much fun. Kimmy Balcombe, who is absolutely huge in the role play world and the cosplay world, is, my, is moderating this talk. And she is a completely fabulous person. I'm so happy she's going to be there. Um, and we're using the opportunity to raise some funds for races, uh, which is raising money for legal aid to immigrants caught on the border in this horrific, hellish talk about the horrific things we do to people right and hell on earth uh but raising money for legal aid and education for people caught in the border crisis and so we're using the opportunity to to raise money i believe that you have that hercules was so kind as to send out the links for my uh my fundraising site right and if you give a 25 dollars donation or if you pre-order a book from book soup you get a swag bag full of the most fun stuff in the entire planet. It's going to be so great. And we're doing the same thing in Denver on November 23rd at 7 p.m. at Book at Book Bar in the Tennyson District. Book Bar is, and, and Book Soup as well, it's just like these indie stores are just the heart and soul of the book industry, and especially for genre writers and horror writers and people who, you know, are just outside of the mainstream like all of us, and they're just the heart and soul of this, and I'm so happy that they keep letting me come back to them. But same deal there, and I'm hoping that we can take this, you know, I like the idea of using this opportunity to 
to get some funds to people who really need it for a cause that's super worthy and also supporting indie bookstores in the same time. And yeah, so November 8th at Book Soup in West Hollywood and November 23rd at Book Bar in Denver, Colorado. So Denver is my hometown, so I always go back to Denver. Well, we're certainly proud of you and excited for you, Kathleen. I think we have about maybe 30 seconds to a minute left. So about, uh, yes. Where people can find you online and keep track of your uh, your projects. Awesome. I'm on Twitter um, as Kathleen Kaufman, like at Kathleen Kaufman. And my website is www.kathleenkaufman.com. And I'm on Instagram. I'm just Kathleen Kaufman on Instagram as well. And I'm on Facebook as Kathleen Kaufman. I didn't ever make up any cool nicknames for myself. (laughs) So I'm all over those places, and I promote the heck out of my stuff on all of those channels. So along with um, sharing pictures of my dog and what I ate for breakfast. So please (laughs) join me on Twitter and Instagram. But I do try to keep things updated there. And my website is really cool. I owe, I owe that all to my husband. He built that thing. So it's gorgeous. Uh, it's com. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen. I know that we have, like, just seconds to go. So just want to thank you again for uh, joining us this evening. We're very appreciative and wish you much success. Thank you so thank much you. for having me on. It's been such an honor. Love you guys. And thanks to all of you. This was an awesome show. I learned a lot. It was a lot of fun to uh, listen to. Yay. Thank you so much for having me on. Good night, everyone. Good night. And thank you to all who listened in. Uh, Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. And I will take back the scepter of Zeus. Now that the show is done. All right. Thank (laughs) you so much. for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Mm-hmm.